Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. everyone welcome back to security token show episode 16 my name is kyle sondland and i'm hurry konings and today we'll be talking about blockchains for exchanges so today's episode we're gonna be doing a deep dive on blockchain technology for exchanges as we see more of these partnerships and these exchanges that are launching more than ever before all around the world and the function and use cases differ And the need for public versus private solutions is a very interesting topic to discuss for debate, depending on where you stand. And for our repeat listeners, I'm sure they remember that we actually recently came out with an article. Over 50 exchanges worldwide have been identified, so this topic definitely seems very relevant. But first, as always now, let's start with our companies of the week and talk about what we feel is the biggest news happening in the space. And I'll start off this one here with Lead Real Estate, or Lead Real Estate. I hope I am pronouncing one the way the other right. But uh, this is actually a real estate development firm out of Tokyo. And they have announced that they're going to be tokenizing several real estate projects through a real estate fund. The head of the Olympics in 2020, which for those of you who don't know, is actually being hosted in Tokyo and has supposedly been sent the region's real estate sector on the upswing and so this seems to be a very timely offering and in fact one of the major purposes of this offering is to include Japanese real estate to the U.S. market so the offering as I said is going to be structured through a fund the the platform that actually will be issuing the tokens is securitized and they'll be available to investors globally through the reg d and reg s exemptions I believe, as far as what I'm able to find, the fund does intend to target at least six different regions in Japan, presumably around Tokyo. And as we know, last week we announced that there is a new SRO for STOs, a self-regulating organization developed by many of the leading investment banks out of Japan. I believe it's called the Security Token Association. And so it's very clear that Japan has officially entered the market now here with its first offering. And I'm sure we'll get more information from this that Kyle will share in a future episode. Kyle, I'm curious, who is your choice for Company of the Week? So my Company of the Week is iStocks Exchange. And so if you don't remember iStocks, they're building a security token exchange with all of the necessary features across the entire life cycle rather, of a security token. And so that includes primary issuance, fundraising support, custody, as well as secondary market trading inside of their platform. And so they've made a a series of fantastic moves over the last month or so and are going to be really well positioned to lead Singapore into the future of finance. So um, let's just go over that really fast. So at first, they announced just a couple of weeks ago, we reported it here on the Security Token Show, that they fully completed their Series A financing round. And so we know that they're fully capitalized. And since then, they've actually made two strong hires for their team. The first one being Lim May Shern as their new head of compliance. Lim was previously the deputy director of intermediary capital markets with the Monetary Authority of Singapore, which is the SEC equivalent, the regulator there. And so she's also worked at Barclays as well as PwC and has 20 years of of supervision of capital markets. So this is exactly what you're looking for from your compliance officer, somebody that knows the regulators with, I'm sure she's got a lot of great connections in the monetary authority, as well as so much experience in the capital markets. This is exactly how you're going to get your exchange live and and fully regulated. But what the news that we we have breaking today is that Chu Yi Lin, uh, or excuse me, um, it is... I, I, Chu Oyi, so I, I, it's hard for me to pronounce the, her, her, her name there, but she was formerly an executive director at Morgan Stanley, um, as well as a managing director at UBS Singapore. And so she was at UBS Singapore for, for I think, five or six years as the managing director of their branch there, a multi-billion dollar investment bank. And she's now joining iStocks as their chief commercial officer. And so another veteran joining the executive team to launch this exchange They're doing everything right, hiring the right talent. They've successfully been fully capitalized. And for those reasons, they're my company of the week. 
Makes sense, Kyle. Chuoyi seems like a powerful addition to an ever-growing all-star team here. iStocks, Lead Real Estate. Congratulations to both of you for being Companies of the Week in this week's episode. And with that, let's move into some of the other industry news over the last week, starting off with Liquify. Liquify has partnered with a consortium of Gulf families to digitize uh, over what is a pipeline of a billion dollars in different real estate assets. But more importantly, they're highlighting one specific STO, a marquee luxury hotel located in the Mayfair District of London. The Mayfair District of London is one of the most uh, sought after districts for real estate, uh, one of the wealthiest in the region. And this hotel is actually valued at $600 million, supposedly. So that's a heck of an asset. We've seen some other famous marquee assets in the past get attempted to uh, tokenize, like the Plaza. Unfortunately, that deal fell through. We also saw the St. Aspen Regis deal go through successfully. So it'll be very interesting to see how this one also ends up playing out. But of course, congratulations to Liquify for setting all that up and, and moving forward with this issuance. That's exciting for London too. We've seen some successful security tokens fundraise through London and, and be successful in that process. And, and so people are very excited about real estate. It seems to be one of the, the, the really strong use cases here. And, and we'll see what the demand is for, for this really uh, this luxury hotel. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting too because Kyle Liquify is based out of Hong Kong, okay. doing a deal in London with uh, that's owned by an ownership group out of the Gulf, right? So <laughs> this is an awesome global security token that's coming coming soon. And you mentioned the the Saint Regis. We don't have any news on it today, but we have heard some rumors that that may be coming live here soon. So it also will be an interesting test Certainly to see how case, yeah. how a how a, a luxury real estate property, that one being here in the U.S., performs on the secondary markets and, and, and how that may continue moving forward. The age of hotel tokenization is coming, Kyle. It's coming, man. And speaking of real estate, we have Uprets, uh, which is in temp- in planning to tokenize New York real estate themselves, but actually through an announcement of a partnership with DigiShares, which is actually a European-based tokenization platform. We have a suite of services focused on the tokenization of assets. They're agnostic for both Ethereum and Stellar. And in this case, it's actually a deal that is owned by Uprets' parent company that owns several condos. They're looking to launch what is reported as the Austin Property Token, which will be looking to raise anywhere between one to four million. So again, as always, as more actual information for these offerings come out, we'll be sure to report them in Kyle's section on the STO offerings coming to market. You can count on it. Next up, Bank of Lithuania has officially issued guidelines on security token offerings and our ever-growing list of jurisdictions defining security tokens all around the world. The Bank of Lithuania and Lithuania, the region, has joined that initiative. Uh, And I think that's fantastic news, really, because not only have they had reports on how to structure ICOs before, but they've identified that the market is waning and adopting too, and that there is demand for digital securities and tokenization. And they've actually released some guidelines that basically more or less are not exactly defining it in three different ways. And it was a very light issuance of guidelines on the subject, but ultimately it's a very USA approach in the sense that they'll simply be identifying anything that they quote unquote in their in their exactly from the guidelines I said in those cases where coins released through an ICO have characteristics of securities they grant the right of ownership management of the company other rights to shareholders like receiving company profit like dividends uh, or any type of payment interest or redemption of coins and maybe also transferred to other persons as well as traded in the secondary market or at organized trading venues, their offering is subject to the provisions of the Republic of Lithuania law on securities. Prior to starting a distribution of security tokens in Lithuania, a prospectus approved by the Bank of Lithuania or a competent authority of another EU member state should be drawn up and made publicly available, except for derogations provided for by the Republic of Lithuania law on securities. They also mentioned that uh, they they are there. They're going to be there to consult for companies that are considering an STO. So if it's unclear where they qualify, they're certainly interested. But yep, it's official. Security tokens are now good to go and green lit in Lithuania. And we've seen a couple exchanges that are are working with Lithuania to go live. So potentially we can address that in the future as, as that continues to happen. 
Moving on, we have um, Polymath doing a big update. Uh, they have now come up with their third update, which is uh, a more of a technical update for those of you who are curious to so go check out what the latest is for their Polymath 3.0 initiative. But more interestingly and curiously, they also came out with a pricing update. Uh, uh, specifically for their ticket reservation is now only 2,500 poly, which based on their about two and a half cent price today is around $62. The security token creation itself, which uh, for manual distribution is about 10,000 poly or $250. For an automated version of a, a capped STO of the distribution, it's actually 25,000 poly or around $625. And an automated distribution of a tiered STO that's uncapped, is 50,000 poly or 1250 essentially for, for those kinds of raises. Uh, I do think there are additionally subscription fees and other fees for, for different other services on the platform, but I believe this is a, a, a now actually the lowest price that you can find on the market to go ahead and tokenize securities. So that's uh, fantastic news. I'm excited to see what kind of uh, this new pricing changes, uh, what kind of activity is encouraged as a result. Next up, we have Prometheum, which uh, there was an op-ed by Tim Fries of Tokenist who kind of did some coverage on Prometheum. And for those of you who aren't familiar, they actually are trying to build an end-to-end -end ecosystem for securities, actually building their own blockchain, which is uh, meant to have a multi-chain design to support jurisdictional compliance from all around the world. And they intend to offer issuers a what they call a smart securities offering or their SSO framework, issuing SSTs, lots of new acronyms to play around for them there. We've seen that trend before by other platforms, but hey, uh, they are digital securities and security tokens. And in September, actually, the company acquired IntelliClear. And for those of you who don't know, that's actually a big acquisition because it was, that's an ATS license that comes with that acquisition, which will enable them not to only just issue their security tokens, but also provide a marketplace for their trading. And the company previously raised $12 million from Digital Asset Group and others in a seed round. And they're actually also planning to launch a $50 million reg A for their Ember token, which will power a lot of the services on their platform and their trades, presumably. I'm definitely curious to hear more news from this company since they seem to have very big intentions, but uh, so far that's all I could find and that's all the coverage was, was in the article. I'm sure you'll keep us updated as, as more information comes out, which is, is fantastic news. Great work from Prometheum. <sighs> Absolutely count on it. And we also have some news out of Poloniex, which has branched out from Circle. They're, they were acquired by Circle a little while back. For those of you who know, don't know, Poloniex is a large cryptocurrency exchange, one of the top 50 globally, and they are intending to focus on ramping up those services, and as a result, will be revoking access to U.S. citizens. And in their statement, Circle also did comment that they do intend to focus on their efforts on the digital security space, specifically with their acquisition of Seedinvest, which they did earlier this year. And it seems safe to say that you know, through Seed Invest, they'll be using that as their platform to spearhead new security token issuances as it was previously a crowdfunding platform and still is. And now Circle is really you know, giving their full blessing for bringing in tokenization and blockchain to their platform. So I'm very excited to see those changes occur over time and, and certainly we'll, we'll give you an update when that finally is the case. Was Seed Invest, are they based out of the US? They are. They are based out of New York. So that's interesting that, that they're pulling away from the U.S., but maybe potentially are still considering it if, if they have Seed Invest's expertise on in, inside of their company now, if they're maybe they'll one day come back and, and address that. I, I have no doubt uh, Circle itself is also a cryptocurrency exchange, right? So it seems to me it's kind of like Seed Invest is their security tokens. You have Poloniex, which is their global cryptocurrency exchange, and then Circle is their U.S. kind of focused platform, it seems like. Cool. Industry, there's a, a cool article that came out by Joshua Stoner kind of highlighting a lot of the turnover in the digital security space, uh, turnover in the form of management transitions as well as switching teams. The article focused on High, High Castle's Dennis Goncharenko, which transitioned from CEO to CEO and introduced Philip Millar as the new CEO. The article also covered uh, the example of Trevor Coverco from Polymath exiting as CEO and Kevin North uh, entering. You also have Smartlands' uh, Arnoldos Nazdia, who was the CEO, and, the, and now he's the chairman, while the company's CTO, Ilio 
Abzhatov transitions to the CEO role, which is great. It's always good to see a co-founder kind of take over some new responsibilities uh, as opposed to bring in some new management, I think. Uh, and also noted is, is the founder, co-founder of Sw- uh, Swarm, Chris Eberly, vacating his role as CEO, although he still remains as an advisor with the platform, which is very similar to Templum CEO Vince Molinari, who also stepped down uh, but still remains as a senior advisor. Finally, we also have Open Finance's Tom McInerney, who left as their chief product officer, but now is the chief product officer for Vitalo instead. And most notably, of course, there is the overstock resignation of Dr. Patrick Byrne, who transitioned out and now has, has taken out uh, Jonathan Johnson as the CEO, who's now taken over the CEO, and has noted that they are very bullish on the, their portfolio company, T0, and doesn't it, it, intend to adjust any of their plans with the company. That's a lot of, of executive turnover. I mean, nothing to cause panic about, but it's good to see that these, these firms are still active, still looking to, to bring in some new perspectives as it's been a couple of years now. And, and uh, it's exciting stuff to see how, how a lot of these firms, if they explore other opportunities or, or pivots or, or whatever, and we'll see, see what happens. Definitely, Kyle. There's definitely more, that to meet, more than meets the eye with every single one of these, these events, but sometimes there are, there are situations of a company growing and bringing in more professional management. Uh, sometimes founders aren't capable of bridging that gap. Many other times, it's a, a sort of switch up. In, indeed, in this case, with Swarmlands, uh, uh, sorry, Smartlands, of switching up their their co-founders and kind of their role. So it's it's definitely very interesting. But of course, great uh, for Joshua to keep us uh, and give us some highlights on what's going on out there. And that's it. That's all I have for the industry news. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Kyle. I'm looking forward to hearing what's the latest from the security token offering side. Yeah, well, we've got got two updates here. These are these are some term updates actually from security tokens that we've addressed sometimes at length here on the podcast. But as I as we always like to mention, when when we can get more information or where it's relevant to discuss, you know, additional terms of, of investment opportunities, it's definitely important to make sure that that's clear to to all of our listeners if anyone's interested in checking them out. So the first one here is is one that that hopefully you've heard of before. We've certainly mentioned it quite a bit on the podcast and it's been getting a lot of great positive reception because I think almost everyone in the space is, is very, very excited about this deal. And it's, it's the Spencer Dinwiddie Professional Athlete Investment Tokens. And so that's what they're, they're calling them, the, the PAINTS, the P, uh, Professional Athlete Investment Tokens. That's kind of the acronym they're using. The goal here is that Spencer is, is kind of the the leader in the operation, and then they're hopefully going to spin off multiple other athletes as well. I think that they're rumored to have a few more that they've, they've hinted at on their site, so we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that. Um, but in terms of his specific deal, it's, it's open to, I think it's open to uh, U.S. and international investors, but I'm not su- actually fully clear on that. Um, the reality is that it's a minimum investment of $150,000, and that's going to buy you one token. And so they're selling between 33 and 90 tokens based off investor demand. It's also not clear if fractional ownership is available, but I, I do believe that um, I do believe that it's it's not open to to fractional ownership. We'll have to see uh, what they what they end up deciding to do. That the memorandum is still you know we're still getting access to that at this point. In terms of the open date, it, it, it was set to launch today. It's unclear based off of Spencer's conversations earlier today if. They are partnering with the NBA on this deal or not. They have already pushed it back a week. It was supposed to launch on the 14th. It's, it's not clear if they are accepting funds at this time yet. Uh, and they're working with the NBA as Spencer Dinwiddie is an NBA player. Um, and his contract that is fully guaranteed is what is being tokenized for this deal. So their minimum offering amount they're looking to raise is, is $5 million. This is 33 of their investment tokens. And the maximum offering is $13.5 million US dollars uh, for 90 tokens. And so it's a Reg D506C offering. So that does mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it does mean it's credited only. So um, it's accredited only. And if it's 506C, then, then it's, it's US investors. Um, and so um, it's going to be very exciting to see what the interest looks like here. The interest rate is, is not public information at this point, but Dinwiddie has mentioned that the token is likely going to pay an interest rate of around 2.5%. And so when you're looking at a 2.5% fixed income instrument, because his contract in the NBA is, is three years, it's about $10.5 million in each of the first two years, and then I think $11.5 million or something along those lines, maybe 10.5, 11 11 and a half, somewhere in there. 
in, in payments per year. And so 40% or up to 40% based off of investor demand will be tokenized and sold. Again, this contract is fully guaranteed, so it's, it's, it's a very low risk in terms of, of what a traditional corporate bond might look like. Um, but again, this is not investment advice. You need to do your own research on, on whether that's an, an investment you'd want to look into and participate in. Uh, we can look at yield curves and see that, that the, the interest rates on similar looking U.S. Treasury bonds that, that certainly are, are less risky than this, but, but this is, again, fully guaranteed, provided that he doesn't you know, retire, um, which I'm sure he would get sued for. So the, the yield curves on similar bonds are about 1.5%, so 1.6%, somewhere in there. So this is definitely a, a better return than what you're going to see in, in traditional low-risk and low-yield assets, but uh, it's, it's certainly not quite as exciting as, as, as some of the community that we've seen feedback for might have been expecting. So very interesting opportunity. It certainly seems like a fantastic use case. It's, it's backed by a guaranteed value in assets. It allows investors to get exposure into an athlete's contract. It's, it's a really fantastic deal, and, and we're excited to see that, that the structuring is available, that the terms are here, and, and they're, they're going to be moving forward with this offering. You know, we're going to have to talk about this one a little bit, Kyle. This is one of the hottest offerings without a doubt in the space right now because of the, the historic uh, applications of what they're doing here with Spencer Dinwiddie's contract. But ultimately, I have to agree that uh, certainly there is a lackluster side to the, the potential appetite or interest uh, in terms of the, the yield that, that you get from the offering. But at the end of the day, I think maybe the, the historical component of it or the ability to access this kind of new asset class and include this as part of your diverse portfolio, et cetera, uh, it certainly will be interesting to see how the market adopts it. I, I find it also interesting that they ex plan to accept Bitcoin, Ethereum, as well as U.S. dollars, right? So uh, it's funny who they're trying to kind of target with this offering, in my opinion. It seems like there's this component of the, well, I'm a big fan of uh, finance and sports uh, finance, so maybe there's a, this kind of emotional component to want to invest in uh, a fan or, you know, if you're, you're a wealthy individual who's a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, maybe this is very curious but then you see this component to where it's the yield is really more targeted towards almost like a, a CD or a bond, et cetera, mm -hmm. for an individual. And then finally, you have this like crypto component of it, <laughs> which I, I wouldn't find that either of the first two audience would be investing in crypto. Uh, and of course, as we, we have said previously on the show, you know, including blockchain as part of your offering always adds more friction, even just the security token component of it. Uh, so I think it's very interesting how this is coming. But at the end of the day, you know, I made this my company of the week last week, this deal, because of the revolutionary applications of what they're doing here, especially as you mentioned and hinted at, there will be more issuances coming. We'll see how other industries or uh, other sports within the, you know, this sector or other athletes themselves decide to take and enter into the market in their own way or decide to leverage the paints platform that Spencer Dinwiddie seems to be developing. So again, landmark deal. Very curious to, to continue to get the updates on this one to see how it's doing as, as it progresses. Moving on to Project Crowd. This is a, a token that is launching on the WeOwn platform. We, we talked about this last week. And they are fundraising a million in Swiss francs, which is approximately a million U.S. dollars. And so there's 39 days remaining in their primary offering, and they're now 33% complete with that, with that offering. Awesome. So doing, doing really great work there. They, they have a full month and, and, and a bit left, and, and they're making good headway into, into their full raise. So they're selling it at uh, $1 essentially per share, and, and so that means they've raised over 300,000 U.S. dollars, which is fantastic. So if you're interested in, in maybe checking checking out Project Crowd, we talked about it last week, but it is a, a decentralized hiring platform and leveraging AI to help companies recruit talent and bring them on board in and, and, and a lot of great ways. And so if you're interested in checking it out, if you have done some research and want to invest, you can invest. You can email at investatproud.io and, uh, and that will give you more information on, on that. We also have a market update on, on some security tokens. And so we, we've started to cover the market updates over the last five or six episodes here. 
But I think that it's it's time that we actually address all of the live tokens and, and just give you a, a kind of a good snapshot of where these where we're at in terms of secondary trading. And the reason why why I wanted to get into this a little bit was because we we hosted a panel and it seemed like in, in Crypto Invest Summit just last week that we can talk about a little bit more later. But most of the the people that I had been discussing with actually weren't super familiar about about which tokens were live and how they were performing. And you know, a lot of these people were interested in security tokens. And so I do think it, it's important that we give a, a full comprehensive snapshot of the live security tokens here in the U.S. Especially we, we don't have any information. I don't believe there are any live security tokens anywhere else in the world. If there are, certainly we will keep you updated on those. But for now, it's only here in the U.S. And so the two live exchanges, as we've addressed before, are Open Finance Network and T0. And so T0 certainly made the largest waves with a lot of successful fundraisers. They were launched by the public company Overstock.com. I don't need to get into that any more than we've already discussed on multiple episodes. But Open Finance is also a smaller exchange that has raised successfully and has gotten their live ATS or alternative transfer system to be able to exchange these securities. And so... I just wanted to address all six of the live tokens. We've got one here on uh, one here on T zero, which is their own equity token, and then there are five on Open Finance. And so T zero has had a you know, had an abnormally weak trading day today. We're only trading about five hundred and sixteen dollars in total. This is following nearly forty thousand dollars in volume on Friday. So it's it's kind of odd to see such a a large decline from them. Uh, on Monday, I'm just, I was trying to scour and figure out why that this was struggling with performance, but I was unable to find anything you know comprehensive or conclusive. And it's also well below their October daily average of around five thousand dollars per day. So it's it's you know ninety percent down today. Um, the closing price was around a dollar thirty seven, which is stable for what we've seen across the month, and that leaves them with a market cap of, of thirty five million nine hundred and thirty three thousand. Um, and so that's T0. That's, they have their own equity token. We've talked about this before. The volume's down, the price is down, and that's really because they don't have any other assets. And so you can only trade your, your equity if, it, if there's other assets. Open Finance did not issue a security token when they did their raise, but they have a few companies here. Lottery.com, which has no current trading action for the month of October, with an estimated price of, of 53 and a half cents and a market cap of 22891000 We also have Blockchain Capital, which is, which is a crypto investment fund that launched a security token. And they're also inactive thus far in October with an estimated price of, of $2.03, looking at a market cap of, of just over $12 million at this point. Unfortunately, to see no, no movement at all, no trading volume, is definitely frustrating for, I'm sure, a lot of investors, but we'll have to see how that, that improves over time. Blockchain Capital, uh, and then moving forward into Spice VC, which just like Blockchain Capital is a, another investment fund. They led today's market in trading volume. They actually had a great day today with, with over $1,500 traded on open finance, which is definitely small um, compared to traditional markets, but but still it's the, the leader of, of today. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's good news. Um, however, there's only been three trades this month in October. So we had two today, which, which was nice. They were both sells, unfortunately, but, um, but still lacking liquidity. The estimated price is around a dollar based off of spreads. Obviously, that's how we're calculating the prices based off of, of the bid and, and, and sell, um, or the bid-ask spread, rather, and the order book. And then the market cap there is about $8.5 million. With one small trade in October, Protos, which is the newest token on Open Finance, came out I think a month or two ago. Uh, they only have one small trade in October, so again, virtually not much liquidity there, uh, with an estimated price of $1.28 and a market cap sitting just over $4,250,000. And finally, 22X, another investment fund, also struggled with their trading volume this, in, in this month of October, an estimated price of about 50 cents and a market cap of two and a half million. So we're looking at, at a total market cap just around 60 million US dollars, 60 to 70 million. This is definitely fluctuating because as we said, there's just not much volume. So depending on what one or two trades, one buy order, one sell order can kind of set the price crazy because 
there's not much liquidity, so therefore it's very difficult for what we'd call price discovery, right? Figuring out what this thing is really worth, what investors are really looking to buy it for. So calculating market caps is not super relevant, I don't think at this point, uh, but we certainly like to give the, the perspective just if you were interested. We've got six live security tokens sitting in that 60 to 70 million market cap range based off of trading. Fascinating, definitely interesting information. Definitely will keep this update. I do think it's very relevant and we'll, we'll see more and more tokens eventually get listed. I mean, just today we've announced that someone plans to launch a $600 million marquee luxury property. Well, if that ever gets listed, that's 10 times the market price right there, <laughs> total market cap uh, that gets added into it. So uh, we're gonna see a lot change over time and I'm excited to, to keep getting this update out there. Yeah, we also know Smartland's completed their their security token raise for their dormitories in, in the UK. So certainly they're, they're issuing security tokens that will be successfully issued and Merge had you know reached their market cap or their soft cap rather for their fundraise. So there are security tokens that will additionally be coming out. It's really just a matter of time. Yeah, of course, we'll be tracking it all around the world as soon as we get access to more and more platforms. Uh, and I think it's for sure very useful information. Upcoming events, as well, always, before we jump into that section, I thought it might be worth it to talk a little bit about last week, which was a, a great uh, event. Uh, CIS, or the Crypto Invest Summit, features the security token track, and, and overall, there was a lot of activity at the event. Uh, certainly, the vibe was that each year, these conferences get more professional, more institutional, though the crowd that there is diehard on what they're doing and not necessarily you know, wannabes or so in the, in the sense the security token track was actually packed the entire time. Uh, I had a great time hosting a panel with InvestReady CEO Adrian Alvarez, CPA and Soft Ledger founder Ben Taylor, attorney Mike Sa Michael Sarion of the Structural Law Group, and Roberto Mercado, who's a founder of Venture Networks. And you know, these four individuals, we, we had a panel about compliance and record keeping. And ultimately, I think the best takeaway I want to share with everybody listening is that Ultimately, for you know, a lot of regulatory uh, lack of clarity, it certainly seems that the panel believes there is an infrastructure today that can support the growth of the STO market. Sure, can, can it be better and can the SEC give more guidance? Yes, but ultimately, the future looks bright and they, they, every single of the panelists believe that at the end of the day, the infrastructure is there at the very least. It's not broken. Uh, and I think that's very clear, seeing as the U.S., as we just covered, has six trading tokens and, and no tokens trading anywhere else around the world yet. So very, very exciting panel. I know you also had a great panel, Kyle. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, just on, to add on top of yours, I think that I, I loved your panel. And it was one that certainly doesn't necessarily have the catchiest name in terms of talking about regulation and compliance and accounting and all of these pieces that, that aren't quite as, as necessarily sexy as you let off with with a funny joke. But everyone there was was captivated. I think that, that the panelists were fantastic. The questions you were asking were really good. And, and, uh, and so we'll have to see if the videos get posted online so that we can share that. Uh, but we also had a good time on my panel. We were discussing tokenizing, trading, and investing security tokens globally, which was a very productive conversation. We sat down with two investors, Constantine Kogan and John Lombella, who were discussing their experience investing via their crypto funds. They both have worked or have you know, crypto funds of their own. And they also were discussing assets that they've been looking at, that they're interested in. John specifically was referencing, he, he knows of, of some you know, mines in Africa that are looking to tokenize and raise, raise money on that, which was, was very fascinating. It certainly is, is something that could be very productive moving forward. We love those ideas of, of working with, with oil facilities in terms of all of these production of natural assets seems like a strong investment use case. And also on the panel was Jonathan Dunsmore, who's an attorney. He's got his own, he's got his own firm, excuse me. And he was very charismatic and very vocal in his feelings that we still have some work to do on the asset quality side before we're going to see any real movement in the security token industry. And so uh, he, he says he's not quite working with, with as many security token issuers as he's, he's still seeing a lot of crypto stuff, but he's excited about the potential and, and saw a lot of value in that moving forward. And so we had a lot of fun talking about the differences between the crypto and security token side, trying to, to, to blend the conference together. So a good time all around and, and hopefully as we said the, the videos will be the, the panel were recorded so if they're posted online if they're shared anywhere it's certainly you know valuable content that we'll, we'll share here absolutely and uh, next event which I think is also tied to the security token summit will be happening sometime next year and usually April I think so 
Looking forward to the next one. In, in terms of our upcoming events around Security Tokens, Security Tokens realized a conference uh, that hops around different places is actually going to be in San Francisco on October 30th and New York on December 5th. So definitely check out either of those if they're going to be in your area. And we also have the Malta Blockchain Summit on November 7th and 8th, which will also have a security token track focused on a lot of different content there. Of course, Malta being, it's being hosted in Malta and they, you know, as a respective leader in both the virtual assets and security token space, I'm sure there'll be a lot of good content coming out of that conference. Uh, I think it's worth sharing also going back to CIS a little bit, so some of the other stuff that we saw. We saw Vertalo do a live trade demo of a tokenization uh, that they did right there on the spot, spot over the course of 15 minutes. We were able to tokenize a cap table, distribute interest, and actually go ahead and sell on a, a 0x exchange uh, ownership of the security token. So it was a fascinating demo. It really reminds us that the, the future is already here. Yeah, well, it's fantastic. They're also, you know, um, between you know your company, Invest Ready, and their instant global accreditations, to be able to have an investor take a look at an offering and and just like that, be able to accredit themselves and be able to, to actually participate, and then to have have the issuance happen, you know, from the the issuer platform side, also seamlessly. We're really starting to see these infrastructure plays, you know, really develop out great great tech. Totally agree. And with that, I think we should move on to our main topic, Kyle. Our, we actually have a lot of news around the main topic that came out recently, specifically Archax, which was quite busy, actually partnering both into R3's Corda to, to power their blockchain exchange and, and more focused on their post-close activities. They, they noted that uh, you know, they, they absolutely need these services to move forward and, and scale. And actually, Corda has, is notable because they're also powering the Swish Digital Exchange as well with their private blockchain technology. And strangely enough, at the same time, Archex has also partnered with Highcastle, which also has a private distributed ledger technology for exchanges to basically manage their members and their trades on the Archex platform. It, it certainly would like to get a little bit more clarity on are they going to be operating together separately, which is offering what function, or are these more kind of just exploratory press releases? Uh, but we also mentioned last week, uh, we, we also heard that the Boston Security Token Exchange is also intending to launch using the Ethereum and record a lot of their ownership uh, tra and their transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. And finally, we also know uh, a little while ago, the Australian Security Exchange also partnered with VMware and IBM to digitize their platform on the blockchain. And, and just today, earlier, we mentioned Prometheum is building their own so we, we have a lot of news here, Kyle, talking about exchanges themselves leveraging blockchain and distributed ledger technology. All this news kind of also leads to a little bit of slight confusion as a result of where do security tokens come into play, what is the purpose of these blockchains, and, and how is it all operating together. And so I think it's, of course, first to examine, examine all these different scenarios, specific use cases or value proposition of distributed ledger technology or blockchain for exchanges themselves. You know, in almost all cases, especially across these press releases, it, it's pretty standardized. It tends to focus around the, the changing of ownership records, the transfer of securities, and, and cash to settle and trade. Reporting is another one that's been mentioned. The uh, Boston Securities uh, Token Exchange intends to use a whitelist as well so that they can have a closed blockchain to manage their participants and the smart contracts that power the platform will be built on top of Ethereum to help, of course, with all the other management sides and, and act as a trading log of the, the history. So the, the there's a lot of different examples here of, of really the classic ledger technology, having that per perfect sort of uh, uniform record as well as using smart contracts to certain degrees for changing of the ownerships, which then begs the question, where do security tokens come in? We've seen uh, security token exchanges complement either by adopting other token structures or even developing their own issuance solutions, how that then interacts with the various distributed ledger technology technologies that an exchange might be using, versus the security token itself having a life of its own to be able to move seamlessly in and out of that ecosystem. 
certainly uh, is all a, a fair a, a value add and efficiency to the whole capital markets process. But uh, it, it certainly brings up some questions, right, Kyle? I mean, for, for example, we have private blockchains, we have public blockchains. You know, where, where does this come into play? Well, the reality is that, that there are some, some significant differences between whether you're going to leverage a private or public blockchain. And so with, with a, a, the Boston Security Tokens Exchange, for example, they, they want the private blockchain because they can manage the participants, as you mentioned, on the smart contract. But they can also control the gas fees, which are the, the fees that you have to pay in order to facilitate a transaction on the blockchain. And it also, with a public blockchain, the values there are that you may have greater support from developers, you may have third-party additions, um, but you don't have quite as much control of the whitelisting of, of wallets, of being able to CYA and get dedicated support. And with a private blockchain, firms are also able to control the data and information in the system, which can provide more security as long as it's built by a reputable firm, right? So they can keep it in-house, they can manage their own internal systems and leverage a lot of this technology and the smart contracts for automation, for cheaper costs, for faster speeds, um, while keeping it in-house. Um, and so in terms of security token support and the DLT distributed ledger technology system, the major question that comes into account is the support for security tokens to trade on other platforms. And so we'll have to see, will security tokens need to become blockchain agnostic in order to be supported by multiple platforms? In some cases, we see that exchanges developing issuance capabilities themselves, which enables tokenization of assets you know, used within their platform or outside of it. But we're also seeing issuance platforms themselves that are third party that don't have the exchange services that are also trying to develop their own compliance protocols. Some that, again, are open source and some that, that are not. And so much of the discussion revolves around these issuance platforms themselves and how are they going to be considering or, or, or launching or building the tech underneath. And so it's, it's a similar reality in traditional markets where you can build your tech open source, which allows for developer support and third-party interoperability much easier, or you can keep the technology private and maintain a competitive advantage. Most a lot of companies sometimes try for the latter in terms of keeping it all in-house, but it, it, it's only to your peril because if, if it works, great, but many of those companies, it will not succeed. And so it requires an expansive network to get off the ground, a lot of money in terms of, of being able to scale this operation. And, and it's just, it's maybe not the best use of funds for every one of these platforms to try to build their own instead of finding a way to work together. So when it comes to blockchains, it's clear that exchanges can benefit from having a uniform log and trading history using smart contracts to enable the instant settlement and clearing and to have that safe and immediate transfer of ownership on the securities and having that on chain. But when it comes to the security token itself, leaving the ecosystem, so leaving that, that you know, centralized marketplace and going somewhere else, it likely needs the support of one of these open protocols like ST20, DSO, or the T-Rex that will help create that ubiquitous adoption for exchanges, which are presumably in competition and won't necessarily support another exchange's protocol, right? So basically what we're talking about here is that for these exchanges to be able to support all of these things, there likely needs to be this open source one that they can all kind of approve of um, and, and may all have to approve of because that is the industry standard and which again is much better for the global transfer of these assets. All of this leads to the desire for one uniform solution, um, which many of these protocols are trying to be, that will fit all of the different jurisdictions around the world. And most protocols are built on a public blockchain because of the larger support of developers and the usage of the blockchain. But we do see projects like Onera that also desire to build a protocol, but instead believe security tokens need a dedicated blockchain platform in which their case is built on the Hyperledger fabric. And so there's, there's many different types of blockchains, there's many different solutions here, and, and like what we're seeing in, in you know, the crypto space and a lot of these, these blockchain companies, is we're still trying to figure out the exactly the right use case. So it's fun to think about private versus public because as I'm sure that you as listeners can imagine, many of the startups are creating a lot of these open source protocols. And, and we definitely are also seeing some of these larger institutional players that are developing things in-house because they can take it slower, they can test things, and they don't need to, to necessarily put anything out there too early and, and rush the launch. So 
Yeah. Well, really breaking us down then from what I hear what you say, Kyle, it sounds like we have, you know, we have a plethora of security tokens that will be entering the market over the years through a variety of different issuance platforms. And it seems like some of them can be traded potentially on exchanges that don't use any blockchain technology whatsoever, centralized information and and tools. uh, But at the end of the day, enough to support the trading of the security token itself and their own value proposition. We're seeing examples of exchanges that are then going to be able to leverage distributed ledger technology and blockchain for the actual exchange itself, whether it's on the the log uh, history for trading or whether it's the clearing and instant settlement for different accounts or whether it's just simply uh, helping with the efficiencies uh, of the technology. And then finally, we also kind of see this example of you have a uh, blockchain-based exchange using a technology that's interacting with security tokens that may or may not be locked out or, or stuck to that exchange based on whether it can actually leave the system or not. Uh, and that is by design, of course, of the exchange itself. So we're going to see a lot of different use cases come to market. I, I personally don't think you can say one or the other is the, the right use case. Uh, maybe one day we'll have another uh, topic that, that forces us to put a little bit more on the line around that. But at this time, I think it's very hard to say what the real differences are, are going to matter. Certainly, you know, you pointed out the differences in, in a private versus a, a public blockchain. But at the end of the day, it's the it's the same function and the same purpose that they're aiming to do. And What's your prediction for this? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I think if I had to say probably towards the latter half of 2020 and maybe early 2021, I would imagine that we're going to start to see more uniformity across these exchanges, potentially you know, emerging through either one-off cross-support partnerships where they develop just to work with each other's systems, or if it's by, you know, hosting one of these, uh, adopting one of these many different protocols that you mentioned that are coming to market, looking to kind of standardize their, their adoption. And I say that only because I still think we're on that plethora of issuances coming first, right? Exchanges themselves are trying to build volumes and networks, mm-hmm. and I think they're primarily focused right now on onboarding assets as opposed to creating liquidity through partnerships with other exchanges. But I certainly think that the the whole purpose of this technology is to certainly take advantage of that and, and, and these networks will eventually enable. What, what do you think? Yeah, well, I can see that happening, Herwega. We saw a mass conglomeration of exchanges during the tech boom in the early 2000s. And a similar situation might happen on the global stage for security tokens in, in the coming year or two. But I'm also a little bit suspicious of the largest institutional players that are going to come into this space eventually, and they might not want to give up leverage by working with a public blockchain and protocol. I can see a reality where some of these exchanges that are able to dwarf the smaller players in the industry, whether that's a NASDAQ or, or a larger exchange in Europe, that institutes a private blockchain issuance on their own ledger and will distribute through maybe pockets of partner networks like what we see maybe in Europe. And so this is an interesting kind of maybe hybrid system. Um, But the the biggest piece here that I think that that could be an issue would be if if one large exchange tries to institute their own blockchain and and says, hey, if you want to trade on NASDAQ, you got to use NASDAQ's protocol and and the interoperability is kind of lost there, a global exchange. Um, the other reality is I'm, I'm interested to see if some exchanges don't even necessarily launch with the blockchain system at all. Hmm. This, you, know, you can save development costs and just try to partner with the eventual winner whenever that is. Whenever we figure out what, which one is the, the right. successful solution. And, and you know, the reality is, as we've discussed before, you, you might not need a blockchain necessarily to exchange security tokens. Especially here in the U.S., we're really just talking about... A, a tech wrapper behind a, an underlying asset. And so um, you could theoretically build that in your own centralized system without necessarily needing a blockchain system. Um, but again, that, that really starts to hurt the interoperability aspects of it and the global exchange because you can't, you can't necessarily build it that way with, with the, the jurisdictions all built in. So tell me, what do you actually predict? <laughs> well, I, I see a lot of these smaller exchanges end up working together and, and then getting acquired by, by some of these larger exchanges. I see. I think that, that when in doubt, follow the traditional markets. This is something that we saw in the tech boom. 
Um, and and that, that's what I would predict is that a lot of these, these, these smaller current security token exchanges or one of the 50 or potentially hundreds that eventually launch around the world, a lot of these will get bought up either by existing institutions or by some of the largest upstarts that, you know, a Coinbase that wants to get into the space and just acquires, you know, one of these smaller exchanges and continues to, to kind of do it ICE style, if you will, um, in, in traditional markets. That's yeah, what I would you're not wrong. I mean, that's how NASDAQ came out of nowhere and became one of the biggest exchanges in the world, right, through, through a series of acquisitions during that time period. Uh, I think we always like to reference traditional markets as signs for how the security token market will evolve. Uh, so I think that's also a really, really fair approach. Uh, I do think that makes me think uh, of something else, which is of the big players that, that, who would presumably be more resistant, how much of a, a problem was it to begin with to even collaborate because of their personal and private systems and proprietary data and how they were managing it? Simply the, the concept of interoperability is certainly much, much more challenging without blockchain and security tokens as a part of that equation. So I'm definitely curious to see, would someone like the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ eventually take advantage of this potential for interoperability, or will it be only once they see, like your prediction, a wave of smaller exchanges show off that potential, and maybe maybe one day they will collaborate? Uh, certainly because they all own a number of exchanges all around the world through ICE and NASDAQ and, and many others. I would imagine that at least because they're owned by the same parent company, we might start to see some synergies across the various different exchanges that are owned by the same people using blockchain and security tokens to, again, that interoperability, create more liquidity, create more networks uh, and, and efficiencies around the whole system. It's also crucial that... Global interoperability is important because, as you said, right, there's, there's certainly compliance and, and cost savings and, and the ability to invest in more assets. But what that also translates to is a potentially an influx of capital into non-existing markets, right? So if there are international investors that want to invest in U.S. real estate, not only now do they, are they able to invest, so from their perspective, they get more assets to invest in. But from the asset holders themselves, potentially here in the U.S., they now, their property will see a significant increase as the demand increases. So this could be a very effective boom cycle for many traditional assets that benefit from additional investor participation and can be very, very good for the global economy, for the health of the global economy, because the, the money is more diversified across international borders to allow for the support in case one economy maybe struggles you can then be able to move those funds around and, and properly diversify to, to stop the bleeding. Yeah, truly an exciting notion. I think that's what we're all working towards. I think that's what we're all bullish about. And I think that's a wrap for today's episode. I do want to give a quick shout out to my co-host here, Kyle, for his uh, recent birthday on the time of this recording. <laughs> uh, and I, I know many fans have also wished him a happy birthday as well. And of course, all of the articles and everything we've talked about today is in the description of wherever you're listening to. And we'll hopefully catch you next week. Episode 16, had a blast. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.